going to read for us today out of Psalm 13. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God, give light to my eyes, or I will sleep in death. And my enemy will say, I have overcome him. And my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. It's the word of God. Surprise. <laughs> wow. Just quit while I'm ahead. I'm sure each of you woke up this morning and was like, you know what? Today's the day. I think I'd like to go hear Joseph Carlson preach. <laughs> now, most of you are probably saying, who is this guy? He's taller than Mark Foreman, a little bit younger. He doesn't sound like Nick. He's not as handsome as Ryan, nor as energetic. <laughs> he doesn't laugh as much as Willie either. Um, no, it's, uh, it's a privilege to be with you guys. I've been here, um, I'm Joseph Carlson. If I haven't met you, I'd love to meet you afterwards. Welcome. Um, also, hi to the tent online and over to the chapel. Uh, you guys are real people too, and I'm glad that you're here. I've had the privilege of serving at this church for the last seven years, and I've been tucked away up in, shout out to my production booth people up there. So many unsung heroes, so I just love and appreciate them so much. And I was doing the math, and I think over the seven years, um, I've got to produce over a thousand services here. Which... Which means that I have this unique perspective, right? I've watched your bald spots grow. <laughs> Men, not you ladies. Um, I know just how many of you use your phones not to read the Bible app and to follow along, but to text stocks or ESPN or something, right? No, I'm kidding. That'd be creepy. I don't watch like that. <laughs> no, what I have got to see, though, is I've got to see the Holy Spirit move in this place. I've got to see you week in and week out come and bring the fullness of who you are into the presence of God. I'm going to see you raise your hands in worship and in praise, be filled with joy, overflow in laughter. I've seen some of you um, with your shoulders heavy, um, broken by the weight of life. And I've seen more than anything a God who faithfully shows up and ministers to each and every one of us, right where we're at. So I don't know where you're at, this morning. You could be coming in here on the top of the mountain, uh, just so in love with God and filled with a sense of purpose, where you just, you see everybody is an opportunity to love, and you're just that weird Jesus freak who's hugging people and telling them, like, you know God loves you, you know? Or you could be coming at the bottom of the valley. This could be your first time in church in 30 years. You could have never come to church, um, or maybe you've been coming for 30 years, but you've only been up here in the head. Um, it's been a while since you felt the touch of the Spirit on your heart. I don't know. What I do know is that God desires to come and to meet with us today, and it is my deep privilege to get to be the one to open the Scriptures this morning. So, can we pray? Father, Spirit, Son, we thank you and we praise you for your people here gathered. Thank you for your presence in our midst. Thank you for how deeply and richly you've revealed your heart to us in your scriptures and that we have the freedom to come and to just for a little while step out of the chaos and the noise and the busyness, the muchness of life and step into sacred time to come before you to open our hearts and our minds to encounter you in the fullness of who you are, just a taste. Holy Spirit, I just ask for your protection this morning, that you, would, that you would bind my tongue from anything that is not from you, that you would open up our hearts, our ears, so that we might hear and truly hear 
We might be able to see you more clearly and see how you see us as your beloved children. So, Father, we ask that you come in power and in kindness and love this morning. In your name, amen. All right, friends, before we dive into the text, I want to ask you this question. Well, really, it's a couple of questions. Uh, where are you? What is missing from this moment right now? I don't think anything's missing. I think that we have everything that we need if we're ready to receive from God this morning. And, you know, it's interesting to me that this book, the heart of God, his word, the Holy Scriptures, it begins with Genesis. So we're going to start in Genesis and we'll get to the Psalms. But Genesis 3, maybe it's the first question in Scripture. I'm not quite sure. I should have looked that up before I got up here. But post-fall, right? After the, the fatal incident with the serpent and the, the apple and the tragic story we know so well that changed everything forever, we see this picture of God. It is not an angry picture of God. He's not hunting through the garden, mad, ready to punish. No, he's walking in the cool of the day. And what's he doing? He's saying, where are you? It's a God who comes towards us in our brokenness, in tenderness and curiosity, searching, seeking. Well, where, where are we? Well, we're Adam and Eve, right? We're busily trying to figure out how to sew together a fig leaf, you know, to cover the nakedness and the vulnerability that we feel. Because we now are, we, we see, we see our brokenness, we see our limitation. We see that we, we fear God now. There's been some break that has happened. That moment presents to us two different pathways, and it's the pathway that you and I face each day. And it's the pathway of absence or the pathway of presence. The pathway of absence is the one marked by shame, by self-rejection, by violence, by walls, by escape, by escape and coping mechanisms, right? That's the one of the trying to frantically cover ourselves with something, some impressive persona, anything to hide our limitation and our woundedness, the fears that that carries. Now, the pathway of presence it's a scary one. It's a narrow pathway because it's a pathway that demands that we bring the fullness of who we are, including and especially our woundedness, not just our giftedness, but our woundedness into relationship with one another, into community as we're doing here. But the sad truth is, friends, that we oftentimes look a little bit like the apple that's on the screen behind me. I found this on the internet, and it, I think the caption was, life on social media. <laughs> Ain't that the truth? You know, I laughed, and then I thought about that more, and then I got a little sad because I was like, it could also be titled, life on Sunday morning. <laughs> it could also be titled, life in community. Isn't this what we usually do? I mean, I know I do. I, I want to seem polished and put together. How are you? <laughs> Doing great. Just got back from an epic uh, trip up into Washington. Got to do some fly fishing. It was great. See my family. Got married for the third time to the same woman in two years. Thanks, COVID. <laughs> oh, how are, how are you doing? Good, busy, busy. Ugh. Man, so busy. <laughs> Kids are crazy. Work is crazy, but you know we're good. Yeah, yeah. Hashtag blessed. <laughs> now, of course, it's true. We are deeply, we are richly blessed. If you listen to Nick's amazing sermon last weekend, I mean, he detailed some of the ways that we are profoundly blessed. Education, wealth, security, country we live in, like you name it, this goes on and on. But the truth is that each of us has a bite out the back of us. And if this picture were more accurate, there'd probably be a few worms in there, right? <laughs> you know, it'd be browning around the edges. This is a freshly bit apple. <laughs> Maybe some of you are a freshly bit apple walking in here today. But I bring that up, and I want to share just a little bit of my bite, because we got to be real, or we're not ever really in relationship. And the world needs real 
Christians, and by that I mean ones that are not afraid to own their brokenness, their woundedness, right? Um, that know that, that are able to name it. So just a little bit of mine. I grew up in the church. I prayed the prayer at five. Amazing parents, amazing family, amazing church growing up, amazing leaders that poured into me everything. I mean, it was great. I, I was like, yes, I'm in, you know? Um, I became like this youth group super kid. I was worship leader through high school. You know, I, go to, I end up going to Christian college, switched my major from international business and Spanish to theology because, man, I just, like, God is so fascinating. Well, also because I, there was a bite out of my back and because I believed deep down that I really needed to perform. That there must have been something I didn't know about God because otherwise I wouldn't feel, I would feel, wouldn't feel so broken inside, right? So I would, okay, study more, you know, do something else more. So I end up graduating with a degree in theology, totally cynical, bitter, you know. I started, I learned to drink at that point, you know. Um, I didn't want to have anything to do with God or the church, and I'm like, well, this is a very useful theology degree. <laughs> Thanks, debt. Um, and went for a couple of years and lived in the wilderness. I mean, figuratively and a little bit, actually. Um, desolate, convinced that God was far off and that I was broken. And eventually God draws me near and I feel, uh, I begin to kind of take some tentative steps back towards into church for the first time, back towards God and his love away from cynicism, right? I end up going to seminary up at at Fuller and I, I graduate and then I take a job here. And man, I'm still, I look back at that guy seven years ago and I see a totally different person by the grace of God. Um, someone who uh, God was being really patient with, who was really slowly wooing, you know, to come a little bit closer. And that's what the gift of that booth has been to me, is that I got to be in the room as I watched God reveal who he really was, right? So I share that, you know, my story is one of addiction. It's one of depression, a decade of depression, anxiety. It's one of suicidal ideation. It's one of, I mean, it's our story, right? It's your story. Nothing special about mine. It's just mine. So I come to the text today needing it, needing to hear its voice, needing to receive its truth, just like you. I'm just alongside, and it just, I got tagged in today, you know? Next week is going to be you. Get ready. All right, so Psalm 13. Really quickly, the Psalms, you can kind of characterize them in three different ways. Walter Brueggemann, an amazing Old Testament scholar, has got this tiny little book, and I'm talking tiny, like 30 pages or something. It's five bucks on Amazon. Get it. You can read it in a sitting or in a week. It looks like that. And he makes this really helpful little diagram that I took a picture of with my iPhone. And there's songs of orientation, disorientation, and new orientation, or reorientation, as it is in the, in the notes, okay? Now, the songs of orientation, the psalms of orientation, they're really important. This mirrors, like, healthy identity development, healthy worldview development, okay? It starts in the fundamentals about who God is, about what he has done. He's created the world, that he's all-powerful, that he loves us, that he's sovereign, all these different things, right? Praising him for who he is and for who he's called the people of Israel to be. Right, but then we've got the songs of disorientation or the psalms of lament. These are the harder, gnarlier psalms that we like to sometimes skip over because they're kind of uncomfortable. Right, this is, these are the songs that pour forth from our hearts when the pain of the world breaks into our reality, shatters the hashtag blessed life, takes a bite out of our back. Okay, and this can come in so many different ways. I'm sure if we took a second... And, and this was a safe enough space to say, hey, share your pain, turn to a neighbor, I'm not going to ask you to do that, and share your deepest pain. Uh, man, there would be countless stories of when pain breaks into our lives and it results in chaos. The Psalms gives voice to that, and that's what we're going to look at today. And the last one, the songs of reorientation, is that that's the gift of the gospel. That's the inbreaking of Christ 
in our world, the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's, and we see glimpses of it throughout the Old Testament in the Psalms too. It's this God who who's cares so much that he wants to birth a new thing in the world, in Israel, in your heart, and in mine. So why is it important? I lay that out just so that we've got this understanding that the Psalms is this, the hymn book of Israel, right? Why are songs important? Well, because songs, we identify with them. I mean, what was your favorite band or favorite song growing up, right? I mean, I really like Dave Matthews. He's from Seattle. Not a cool band now to like. You know, Switchfoot, obviously. Um, I had to say that one. <laughs> DC Talk, Jesus Freak. That was my first cassette tape I bought. Um, right before cassette tapes went out of style. I know, sad day. So why is it significant? Well, because the, this, this, as you see here, man, it covers the full breadth of our experience, doesn't it? It has joy, and it has hope, and it has proclamation, and praise, and God's glory, and it also has those times, it gives voice to when we feel desolate, abandoned, alienated, forgotten, or judged. And it shows us that there's something on the far side of that pain or brokenness. We need to become, again, we need to reclaim the fullness of the gospel, the fullness of the witness of scripture, the fullness of the hymn book of the Psalms, so that we can live our lives, so that we can invite God into it, so that we can meet the world at whatever place they are at. Because we are called to be the little Christs, right? We are called to be the hands and feet of Jesus in the world. So the life, you know, part of our problem is that we confuse one of the stages as a destination. Isn't that right? I just want to live in the land of praise. And so we can run the risk of becoming a trite Christian, one who's, you know, who in the face of pain or complexity in the world just says like, well, no, God's sovereign, or like, it's okay, God has got a plan for your life, you know. We say that because, not because it's not true, but because maybe we haven't learned how to sit with our own pain. Maybe it's because we haven't learned how to name the broken parts in us where we feel like God is far from us. The picture of the world today can be a frightening one. If you pay any attention to the news or social media, hair is on fire everywhere. A few statistics about it, though, that give voice to the pain. Over 30% of the adults in the U.S. struggle with anxiety or depression. Can you be vulnerable with me really quickly and raise a hand? Have you ever struggled with anxiety or depression in any form? Just take a, take a second and look around the room. Look how many hands are raised. Okay? This is not theoretical, theological stuff. This is right here. This is our lived experiences daily. And this is where God wants to meet us. Suicide is one of the leading causes of death in our country with 45,799 people who committed suicide that we know of in 2020. Addiction has been on the, continues to be on the, the rise, and over 92,000 Americans died from drug overdoses in 2020. Those numbers, I, I should have taken time to find the most recent numbers. Those were just the easiest ones for me to find. But those numbers have gone up, right? We've seen that. We've seen depression, divorce, abuse, substance abuse, all of that rise during the pandemic, right? During the, the, the times where we were stuck I say that just because we got to be honest about the brokenness of the world and the brokenness is in our own life. And because here's the thing, the truth is that these statistics are no better inside of the church than they are outside. Of the, outside. It's about the same. So this is a message for us, the people of God, not just a message for the broken who are outside the walls of the church who are yet to hear the gospel, who are not walking in relationship with God. It's for us too. So let's get to the text, shall we? A long, a long introduction. Psalm 13 is a song of lament. And I think it moves in three movements that we're going to walk through today. This first one, verses 1 through 2a, so like the first half of 2. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? What he's really asking here, I mean, he's using the language of time, 
But isn't he giving voice to a deeper question, which is, where are you, God? Where are you in my pain? Where are you in the pain of the world? Because it sure doesn't seem like you're here. David here is not experiencing the peace that path is understanding. You know, he's not, he's not going from glory to glory. He's down in the valley right here. So I think that one of my propositions is that functionally or at the, at the heart or the soul or the subconscious level, when we encounter pain, when we get triggered, amygdala hijacked, you know, we lose the ability to use our rational thinking brain and we're down, you know, in the deeper parts where the anger, all the ugly stuff that we don't like to talk about or show um, that we're embarrassed of comes out. And those moments of deep pain and alienation, I think that all of us are tempted to fall into the trap to believe that God is far off, that he is the God of the cosmos, the God of the James Webb telescope. Can I get some of the James Webb ones? Okay, we're just going to take a second to nerd out. Who here looked at these this last week? Okay, great. <clears throat> a plus. Um, this is not a fake picture. This is real. What? I mean, okay, so from here to up there, that peak, seven light years tall. I don't know what that means because I cannot comprehend <laughs> what a light year is other than Buzz, who is a hero to infinity and beyond, right? <laughs> next, next picture. This is really rad. I don't know what it is or any cool facts about it. We just had to take a look at it. Next picture. Okay, here, right? Everything you see that doesn't twinkle like this is a galaxy. A galaxy. What? Also, that picture is technically, if we, you know, relative to scale or whatnot, is the size of a grain of sand held at arm's length here on Earth, right? Too vast to imagine. Now, I bring that up because one is just so cool. <laughs> you know, I had a genuine experience of awe and wonder, felt like a little kid trying to imagine the cosmos. I cannot. It is too big for my mind, okay? Now, I see that, and I want to give glory to God. I do give glory to God. But if I'm honest, when I'm in my pain... My default vision of God, which says a lot more about me, I'm sure you're better and healthier than this, more integrated, you know, but I default to believing that God is the God of the cosmos. He is the sovereign God who is far off. He's a God who's all-powerful, but is he all-loving? Is he all-tender? Is he all-near? Or is he too busy off creating Lord knows how many other galaxies? If you'd like to have an in-depth conversation about aliens, go ahead and email nick at northcoastcalvary.org. He pulled that trick last week, and so I just throw him under the bus a little bit. No, but isn't that true? When we encounter pain, just pause next time, right? Next time you're in pain, or find a memory of pain and reflect on it, and ask, did my vision of who God is change? Did I all of a sudden feel like, well, you're no longer the God who is near me, you're now the God who is just, yeah, okay, you exist, I'm not going to go full atheist and deny your existence, but man, you're far off. <clears throat> so where is God is the first movement of the psalm. That's what he's really asking when he's voicing this, like, how long are you going to remain far off building stars when I, David, your child this wretched king over your crummy people Israel who are ornery and stubborn, like I'm suffering. Where are you in the midst of that? This is an important question for us to ask because who we believe God to be, when we're really honest, when we're in the middle of our pain, not when we're peaceful, not when we're you know, filled with joy, but when we are afraid, gripped by fear, the anxiety of life, the uncertainty of the world, the recognition of our own powerlessness, who we believe God to be in those moments is going to really powerfully influence how we are going to act. How are we going to interpret the, other, like the world and the other person? At the end of verse 2, it says, How long will my enemy triumph over me? I love how verse 2 says, I'm, how long must I wrestle with my thoughts? Because if we're honest, 
in those moments where you experience profound peace and joy, where life feels good and worth living, and you have a sense of purpose, and you feel connected to your spouse, to your family, to the world, where you're filled with gratitude, are, where are you in that moment? Back to our first question. My guess is that you probably aren't here in your head. You're probably not marveling at the James Webb pictures while also simultaneously worrying about a tax deadline, right? Or having an imaginary fight in your mind with your spouse because you haven't figured out how to reconcile yet. No, 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 because when we are in that place of peace, we're no longer at war. We're no longer at war in our minds. We're resting probably closer to our hearts in some ways. Um, where we're able to trust God and not ourselves. But it introduces this idea of the enemy, which is kind of our second movement here. So who is this enemy? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. And my enemy will say, I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. See, the next movement in this healthy spirituality that the Psalms is teaching us, teaching us how to pray, is after we have been honest with God about that we're afraid that he's far off, he's not near, he doesn't care, right? We have to deal with who we believe the enemy to be. And my, my proposition to you is that it is probably not who you think. See, because our default, just the way that we're kind of conditioned by society, <clears throat> by family, you name it, is to believe that the enemy is out there first and foremost. You are my enemy. This existential threat is my enemy. If I'm in a fight, it could be the spouse, it could be a best friend, it could be a kid, it could be a coworker, it could be a boss. Like, they're the enemy. Quit making me feel this way. Ah, so mad. If you would only quit doing what you're doing, then I wouldn't be mad. And say, well, maybe. True. Yes. Um, or maybe there's some woundedness inside of us, right? Maybe we carry around anger or pain or bitterness or judgmentalism inside of us. Maybe the enemy, sure it is. I don't want to dis discount the fact that the world is not a safe place. There are very real threats that we have to take seriously, right? God cares about our safety, safety of our families, of our countries. His heart breaks over war, like threat, murder, all of that. That's real, okay? But we have to first deal with the enemy within that David is naming here, right? The enemy that, that can become our own thoughts when we let them run too wild, when we don't bring them into the presence of God, right? The enemy also, so the enemy is within you and with me. It's our unaddressed pains, our vices, our, our prides, our lusts, our angers, our malice, all of those things that we all know so well and are ashamed about, right? Now, the enemy, a very important point here, and this is where the wisdom of the world is not sufficient, right? Because <clears throat> sure, there's, there's, you know, there's evil out there in the world and there's evil in us, but we have to be real by, by taking Ephesians 6 seriously, right? Ephesians 6 11 through 12 says, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Some of us, some of us are stuck in our pain, in part because we do not recognize this and we are not willing to face or confront the spiritual element to that. Scripture uses the term bondage, right? Spiritual warfare, angels and demons, all that sort of stuff. Look, we got to take this stuff seriously because, like, not as a litmus test, not like, like you've got to believe in this to be a part of the club, but no, just because Scripture seems to take it very seriously. It's a real thing. The, the beauty about this truth is that if we take it seriously, that helps me look beyond, through, and under the actions of other people that I don't like, that may trigger me, that, I, that feel threatening, and to acknowledge that, hey, at least in part, probably what's going on here is the fact that there is a spiritual force out there, the enemy, the accuser of the brethren, 
right? The deceiver that we see, in, that we see begin to emerge in Genesis, that, whose presence is felt throughout, that we see at work in the world, right? It wants to it's a kill, steal, and destroy, to turn us against one another. The reason why this is so important, like the reason why this psalm is so brilliant here, he says, look on me and answer, Lord my God, give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. The light that he's talking about there is the light of insight, right? The light that through God's eyes, with the mind of Christ that Paul talks about, we are able to correctly, to rightly perceive the truth in any given situation. Now, we need to be able to wield that truth with love, with humility, for the purpose of of loving, engaging, and serving one another, not to be right, not to come down, but to come alongside of the other person, or or to come alongside of that part in us that needs to hear the truth about who God is and about who we are in God's sight, his beloved children. So where is God? Is he the God of the James Webb cosmos? Um, Who is the enemy? At any given moment, where are you? The third movement of this psalm is one we like to rush to. So we're not going to rush there. We're going to slow down because, you know, Willie Register had this great insight into this passage. He he said, man, something, well, if it was Willie Register, it was probably Jane Register, who really had the insight initially. <laughs> Woman's brilliant. <clears throat> what happens between verse 4 and 5? Something happens, and isn't it true that sometimes that most profound shift that happens is the one that is silent, that is unnamed. It is the quiet yes of the heart. It is the silent decision to lay down my arms, to decide, you know what? This fight is not worth it. I don't have to be right here. I'd rather be in relationship with this person than be right. Doesn't that usually happen in the quiet of our own hearts, in the silence of our own hearts? Is that maybe what's happening here in David's own heart as he wrote the psalm? I mean, this first movement, where are you? How long? Am I going to suffer forever? Am I going to be abandoned forever? Please help. I need your help and insight because those enemies, they, they want to see me destroyed. Then we see this, but I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praises for he has been good to me. Silence is part of what happens between verses 4 and 5. I like to imagine that David wrote the first two parts of this in a flurry, in pain. And then he left. He left the pen and the parchment, and he went back out into the field, or he went and got his harp, right? He got quiet. He brought himself into into the presence of God. He trusted that worshiper within him that we see so often that is so highly praised. And slowly, after he had named... His, the fullness of his pain and his fears in front of God, he's able to begin to shift. So I'd like to invite some of our friends from the worship team, Richard and Jared and the cellist of our hearts, Bernard. Um, they're going to come out and they're just going to help create a little bit of atmosphere for us, just a little bit of space, because let's be honest, in our culture, we are uncomfortable with silence. I think I read something where it's like, if you ask a room of the, about this size, say, hey, we're going to spend 30 seconds in silence. The lived exp- feels like it's five minutes. And, and we're all like, you just, all of a sudden you start hearing people fidget. Space phone comes out. You know, like. So, they're just going to play a little something from their hearts. And I'd like to invite you guys to do something with me, okay? Would you just slow down? Would you close your eyes a little bit? Did you kind of get centered in your seat? You don't need to take notes about this section. This is not content. This is presence. This is us as the people of God 
with bites taken out of our backs. Taking a courageous step to quiet our hearts and our minds. To invite that chattering mind to become still. And to invite the Holy Spirit to take us through a couple of movements. The first movement being to bring to heart, to bring to mind, to bring to our awareness those places of unnamed pain that each of us carried in here today. Some of it may have been buried very deep. You might not have looked at or spoken of this pain in decades. It may be really fresh. It may have happened on the way in. I don't know. This, this pain may have been in childhood. Maybe it was from a parent. Maybe it was from a sibling. Maybe it was from a bully. Maybe it was from a, an abusive coach. Maybe it happened a little bit later on in life. Maybe it happened last week. But something that just cut to the core of us and just made us feel so small powerless. If you want to, I invite you to just turn your palms upward on your lap. Just a simple physical gesture because we are mind, spirit, body. We are integrated. And you can just say, if you want, in the quiet of your heart or quietly out loud along with me, Holy Spirit, come. I invite you to bring to our awareness that place of pain you long to heal. That simple prayer, I believe, will be answered. And that will look different for each of you. For some, it might be an image came to mind. For some, you might have heard that tape running. That negative voice from the past. It's accusing God or somebody else or shaming you. For some of us, maybe... It's just um, an awareness in the body of a place we're holding pain. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would do the work that only you can do today. That you would move in the depths of our gut and the recesses of our heart, every nook and cranny of our soul. Remove the cobwebs from our minds, fathers. Father, that we might receive your love right now. If we're honest, there are places of pain. Let's be honest now, just between you and him. Now I'd invite you to say, I release you. God, I trust you with this pain. I don't want it anymore, and I don't want its fruits. Spirit, I thank you for the work that you're doing in this room right now. Touching hearts, healing hearts. Our minds don't have to understand it. But may we each encounter, be encountered by the tender tidal wave of your love this morning. It longs to free us from the prison of our own pain.
Amen. So friends, thanks guys. We appreciate it so much. Our final point, that final movement. It's the question that is the title of this sermon, which is, what will we do with our pain? Which is really one of the most fundamental questions at the heart of the life of faith, at the heart of the spiritual journey, is this, what will we do with our pain? What we decide to do with our pain because we have such power to decide. It means everything. <clears throat> do we want to sweep it under the rug? Do we want to push it down? Do we want to numb it out? Drugs, alcohol, work, that's an American favorite, American pastime. A busyness, entertainment, pleasure, all the things. Good things, right? But things that we can just so often use to hide from to try and escape from our pain. What will you do with your pain? You know, I've had been privileged for the last couple of years to be involved in, with Jeff Rinke and Jennifer All um, in our, our counseling and the healing ministries over there. I see Paul and Connie Thompson, who they've, they know what I'm talking about, men's and women's skills. They've been facilitators there for years. Um, and in that, in that context, kind of the therapeutic context, we talk about how uh, each of us responds to pain, to violations of love or trust in one of four ways. Blame, shame, control, or escape. I'm pretty good at shame, pretty experienced at escape. Those are some of the parts of my story that I I'm not proud of. If I'm being really honest, I'm actually good at all four. <laughs> Sorry, babe. What will you do with your pain? It's, I name those things because it's, <laughs> the playing field is, is level. Like that's, those are kind of four general, universal human responses, right? But the beauty of the power of God and his love is that there is an invitation to a new thing, Right? the Psalms of reorientation, the new birth. When we say yes to God, to receiving his love, to bringing the fullness of our woundedness in front of him and having the courage to name that with ourselves and with other people, man, we start to tap into some beautiful, profound gospel truth here, right? Because what did God do with our pain? Well, it's not the God of the James Webb telescope anymore. No, it's a God hung on a cross. This is God's response to our pain. Rather than annihilating us, sending another flood, he came, lived, walked, breathed, lived a human life, and hung on a cross, saying, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they do. Into, into your hands I commit my spirit. Could that be our response to pain? Do we have to take control? Do we have to run and hide? Do we have to shame or blame, to scapegoat, to find out, to say that you're my enemy? No. The power of the gospel means that there's a third way, there's a new way. We don't have to do that anymore. We don't have to live stuck in pain. We can live in peace and joy. Not the sort of romantic idea of peace and joy where that's all it is, butterflies and rainbows. Congratulations. Faith in Christ means that you will never experience pain anymore. No. As much as I long for you to live lives free from pain, and I genuinely do, the testimony, the power of the gospel and of the church is, is what we do with our pain that is so different than anybody else because we can bring it to the cross we can bring it to the crucified God who said, hey, you know what? I'm not going to pass this pain on. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to transform it into new life. And you and I are invited and empowered to do that. See, the, the scandal of the cross and of the gospel is that the God of the cosmos, of the James Webb satellite, is the God who then appears like this to us so that we can approach God like this next picture. 
Because this is a picture of the all-powerful God of the universe. This right here. The father who welcomes, who runs out the end of the driveway looking for the lost sheep, the prodigal, who says, I don't care that you've been squandering the gifts and the riches that you have. I don't care. I love you. Welcome home. I have been longing for this. I want to throw a feast for you. Here's my best robe. That's the heart of God. It's the heart of God is also the, the heart of God that responds to the elder brother. Maybe some of us who have been like, I volunteered for every kid's games the last 20 years. I have read this book cover to cover 30 times. You know, I have never done anything wrong like he did. Where's my party? And the father turns and doesn't say, well, you're very ungrateful. It's like, well, everything I have is yours. I have always been with you. The heart of God, Jesus reveals it to us in Matthew chapter 11, 28 through 30, right? And this is, this is where we're going to end. Church, I want us to go from this place practicing yoke throwing, okay? Not eggs, although that's fun. If you want to do that, you can come to kids' games. No, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Friends, why do we keep picking up why do we insist on carrying the yoke of past pains that is heavy? It just gets heavier. It wasn't made for you. That wasn't God's intent. See, a yoke is still crafted and fashioned. It was an exquisite piece of intentional carpentry, right? Jesus probably made some yokes with Joseph. It's perfectly carved to fit each individual ox, right? So it doesn't create chafing, so that's not a burden to carry. It's light, so that you're freed. The yoke of Christ frees you to be fully you and to get on with the fullness of living and with being his hands and feet in this world by showing the world and our families and one another that the power of the Christ hung on the cross is available to us, that we can accept, we can bear up under the pain of the world through the power of Christ, not on our own strength. You try that, man, that's just a heavier yoke. That's the law, once again, and you will heroically do it for a little while and feel like a nice little Messiah, and you will eventually crumble. Trust me, I know I have tried it. You burn out, and you go back to escaping or to controlling or to blaming or to shaming. The good news of the gospel is that it's always at every moment. The path of presence is available to you, or the path of absence are we going to flee our lives, flee our pain, flee the invitation from God to come near, to draw near to him and to receive his love? Or are we going to take the path of presence and say, hey, you know what? By the power of Christ in me, I can be present to your pain and to my pain. And we can watch God transform that into a beautiful thing. I'd like to invite the band out. And we're just going to respond the way that the psalmist responds. Now that we have sat, now that we have maybe named some of our own pains and brought them to the feet of the cross. And I pray that, God, you experienced a touch, the hand of the Father on your shoulder. We're now free to praise. This is coming. It's not this performative thing where we're hyping ourselves up and trying to feel better. No, it's the sort of praise that is only possible when we accept and we stand in our brokenness. Because then it becomes gift. It's not something you have to earn. It's not, you know, then it's this thing we freely offer back to God. And man, I hope this next week, fr friends, that you get to know one of the great joys in life, which is being filled with that love and being alerted by the Holy Spirit to the presence of somebody in your life to come alongside of, to be the hands and feet of Jesus, to listen to their pain and not feel the need to control it, doesn't make you anxious. That the Holy Spirit puts the words on your heart to say to lift them up, to encourage them, to lift their eyes, and to cast them upon Jesus. Friends, would you stand with me?
Let's take a moment in light of the good news of Psalm 13 and of the gospel, that the God of the cosmos is the God of the cross, is the God who's the Father who has come near. We are free to not hide from our pain, but to lift them up in praise to, to God. Amen? I think that there's uh, a next step that each of us can take. And some of it might just be um, practicing a little quiet this week. You know, you're not reading the Bible, you're not in your mind, you're not praying, but just learning to try and sit in the presence of the Father, the God of the universe who loves you, and just to receive that, to feel his face full of delight upon you, his child. But there might also be some further steps. We've got a slide that there's so many resources at this church, so many different things, that if, so, if a place of pain was touched in you today, I encourage you, don't try and walk through that alone. Find a, a trusted friend. We've got pastoral counsel. We've got a counseling center um, at our church that is for this purpose. We've got men's skills and women's skills. We've got marriage skills. We've got premarital counseling. We've got recovery groups. We've got grief share workshops. Do you guys understand the richness how blessed we are at this church. There's so many people who are sitting in these pews who are the facilitators. Who they actually, they're the walking wounded too. They're the hands and feet of Jesus. They have, they have been saying yes to the healing journey for years. And it would be their privilege, their profound privilege, to get to walk with you into some of those places of pain. So I'd encourage you to avail yourselves of those resources. Check, reach out on the app through Pastor you see on campus, the website. We want to journey with you and to watch God transform your pain into freedom so that it can become a gift to the world that you are to offer. So, church, I want to send you forth with a blessing. Right? In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, the God of the cosmos, the God of the cross, and the God, the Father God who comes near, I bless you to be freed from the pain that has bound you to be freed to be a minister of the gospel of truth and of peace and of reconciliation that is our gift to give the world. I bless your marriages and I bless your homes. I bless your workplaces that they may flourish. They may flourish as a result of God's presence and love that you get to carry with you everywhere that you go. Church, I pray and I bless you that you would know, that you would know, that you would know at each point when you walk from here that the easy yoke is yours anytime that you want it, that the pathway of presence is open, that Christ on the cross has defeated once and for all the powers of darkness and it's come that we may have life and life abundant. So I bless you to know abundant life and to go be abundant life bringers wherever God has called you in this world, church. Amen? Good to be with you, church. Oh, and come get prayer. We have prayer down here. We got prayer, so please come. Please come pray.